0: This stuff is lived out, Mm
1: -hmm. you
0: know, and that's what's so cool. I think about being a pastor um, is really we get to be a part of people's lives and speak into it in so many different ways through worship and song and scripture and just sitting by those bedsides through celebrating births, welcoming new members into the body through baptism, gathering around the table as we celebrate communion. Just all of those things are just, um, sometimes the coolest thing I think about being a pastor is that trust that Mm -hmm. that I have, that people invite me into some of the most
1: sacred and most intimate moments Mm -hmm. of their lives. Welcome to Faith and What Resonates, a podcast that explores the intersection of faith, spirituality, music, and the nature of inspiration. I'm Gail Gallagher, and I'm a professional musician and lifelong seeker. I was raised both Catholic and Unitarian Universalist at the same time, and as I grew up sorting my theology, I found my spiritual ground in music and theater. On this show, I interview folks about their faith journey and the role music plays in their lives as we explore the magic of the things that resonate. My guest today is the Reverend Michelle Byerly. I have known Michelle since my freshman year of college, and I am so glad that we have been able to reconnect through starting the New Faith, New Media Network together. Michelle is a pastor in the Great Plains Conference of the United Methodist Church. She also co-hosts the podcast, A Pastor and a Priest Walk into a Movie Theater. Note that when we recorded this episode, I definitely thought the name was Priest and a Pastor, so if you hear the reverse order, that's what's going on there. In this conversation, we discuss the Methodist hymn, "O oh for a Thousand Tongues to Sing, as well as the history of Methodism in general, which includes a dramatic reading of the instructions in the Methodist hymnal. We talk about finding meaning in the sacraments, ritual and intention, how hospital chaplains are spiritual rock stars, and other points in between. Without further ado, here's our conversation. Welcome to another episode of Faith in What Resonates, and today we have the Reverend Michelle Byerly. Uh, and I have known Michelle since college. We were—you've
0: known me before I was the reverend.
1: Ah, uh, yes, exactly. Um, I've—I've known—I've known you since before you got the reverend. Yes. Uh, back when we were taking physics over the summer, and and even wa- before that, we were—we met at a, a social at our nerd dorm. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, so we both went to University of Nebraska Lincoln. Mm-hmm. and we met in the dorms and yeah hung out all through college yeah
0: um, so and then G- Gail dragged me to some Shakespeare along the way and made me fall in love with that so yeah scale and i have known each other for a very long time now as i was thinking about it gosh that's that would be like 15 years if i am allowed to date ourselves
1: <laughs> yeah no absolutely that was oh no yeah 15 years you're getting yeah. that's wild yeah that's wild um so uh michelle go ahead and tell the audience a little bit about uh yourself and your faith background and what you do in the world
0: yeah so again i'm Michelle Byerly, I serve as United Methodist Pastor in the Great Plains Conference. Um, these views, of course, are my own in the midst of that. And uh, we cover, so in the Methodist Church, an annual conference, um, one way that it refers to is a geographical area. And I serve the Great Plains, which is all of Kansas and all of Nebraska and I can be appointed to serve any church or churches within that geographical area. Right now I'm in um, north, central, northwest Kansas, and soon I'll be moving back to Nebraska where I grew up. So it's kind of, I'm looking forward to to that a little bit. Um, I grew up, I was a cradle United Methodist along the way, but Um, no one else in my family had been in ministry. Um, I was always the one who in my family would be like, let's pray at dinner. Or I, I liked going to church. And I, yes, I was a little weird like that. Sermons, eh. But for me, the music was always my favorite part of the service. And Um, just learning about faith along the way. It was just kind of part of who I was. And then when I was in high school, my brother was diagnosed with cancer. And so he was going through treatment at the time and we weren't able to stay in the church as much, but we definitely felt the support there. and, And our faith definitely was the glue that carried us through as a family along the way. And then when I went When I started at college, I knew that it was going to be important for me to take that responsibility for myself. And so I got involved with the campus ministry that was there at the time. That was this ecumenical group of United Methodists, United Church of Christ, Disciples of Christ. Did we go to that
1: together at some
0: point? um i'm trying to remember if you came to that at some point or not it's not coming to my mind but it's not impossible that you would i could see you doing something like that there was
1: some non-denominational group that met in the student union and i remember singing like some like hip christian Mm -hmm. rock songs and hanging out and Mm -hmm.
0: i I don't recall we weren't that hip
1: Okay. 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 I was, I, was I'll just some say group. it that way.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so oh, I, we had all those kinds of things on campus. We, you know, just all these different groups and the street creatures and the.
1: <laughs> oh my goodness. Yes. yes. I I would get in debates with the street preachers sometimes. Yeah. Um, that's... I
0: eventually just learned to walk on by. So, <laughs> so that is, and I, and I talk about that because that is an important part of how I have come to faith and how I approach um, sharing my faith, mm-hmm. I think. Um, I think that the best thing that we could do for my Christian faith is to to be open and say, "Yes, I'm a Christian," and then not be a jerk about it. You know, I mean, I'm just so frustrated by people who use Christianity for their own agenda or use it for harm. And Mm -hmm. I, I, that's, for me, that has been a big part of my getting into ministry. My understanding of God is very much a God of grace and love and who kind of binds the world together with this creative energy. And so that's why when you were describing what you're doing, I was so excited too, because I think there is a huge creative element to Mm -hmm. who God is and how God works. Um, And so for me, I... I always wanted to be a part of sharing that with the world and for me growing up the sacraments of baptism and communion were so important to me and um, as I was in college and trying to decide what I wanted to do with my life as you do in college um, I started out as a biochemistry major and ran into the buzz saw of calculus to physics to uh, cell biology and I just was really struggling with them and and I realized that part of it was I wasn't you know I could get it but I also it was a matter of was I willing to spend the time and energy that it took to gain the level of proficiency at it and for me it was like eh, not so much and so I did some thinking and and switched and I've always loved language and literature and movies and books and so um English was very much a fit for me. And then I also was like, but I also love trying to understand people and why we do the crazy things we do. (laughs) And so Mm -hmm. um, I did the double major in English and psychology and switched into that. And then I was still kind of you know, what am I actually going to do? What does one do with the BA in English when you graduate? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, and, and I realized, you know, there was that, there was just that still small voice that said, you know, ministry could be an option here, you know, and, and for me, it was the, the rational, there was that, that piece of me, but then there was that logical rational side too, that was very much, you know, I enjoyed spending time in my campus ministry. I enjoyed being part of that. I enjoyed the sacraments and and all of that. And I was like, if that's where I'm spending my time and enjoying and finding the energy, then maybe this is something to pursue.
1: Hmm.
0: And so I continued on that path and decided, okay, if I'm going to do this seminary is the next step. And ended up going to St. Paul School of Theology in Kansas City and um, met a lot of great people. And the nice thing about seminary is you are, are around a bunch of people who are just trying to talk about what it means to believe in God and, and the church and how we live out that crazy thing as community. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so for me, I really enjoyed that time of getting to know that. Um, and then I've been pretty much serving churches ever since I did two years of clinical pastoral education as a chaplain okay, at the university of Kansas hospital. And so um, I, I've mentioned uh, my brother was diagnosed with cancer when I was in high school and he passed when he was 25. So I was actually in seminary. It was between my first and second year that he had had passed. Oh. And, um, for me, I realized between um, the campus ministry that I attended in college closing as I was graduating, my seminary moved from one location to another, <laughs> the the death of a very close family member, I've realized that um, grief and loss are a huge part of the work that I do as well. Um, I think that it's important that we acknowledge those things and I know it's tough, you know, the, the, you've had your own experiences as well. And, um, that loss is, is there, but I also think i it's kind of become a friend on the journey for me mm. in the midst of it. You know, it's been this opportunity to, To say, you know, that's part of life. And yet there's a lot of grace in the midst of it as we remember those people as we talk about, you know, what does it mean Mm -hmm. that we are all mortal and that we are, (laughs) that we do have this experience. And so what do we make of this world that we live in and, uh, and our experiences? Yeah,
1: I, I resonate with so much of that. And I did not realize that timeline had uh, synced up for you like that to be in seminary when your brother passed. And that Mm -hmm. is, that's, that's a lot. Yeah. Well, and
0: it's, it's interesting. I look back on that now and I'm like, how in the world did I ever survive that? (laughs) And I think a lot of it is just a lot of grace.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and I think it, being in a place where you're studying, you know, how to, you're already studying how to find that, that, you know, higher self and like find that discipline and stuff like that. That is, yeah. I, 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 in my, in my experience, it was, it was like, uh, I'm good. I went on the, the big old journey of self-discovery, like mm. in light of the loss, but like, you know. Yeah. um, But that's, that's really beautiful, and I have to say, like hospital chaplains are rock stars. They are they are actual rock stars, um, and yeah. I I know in in my experience of loss, like, um, I, it, like, especially being Unitarian Universalist, like when you're like, okay like the, the moment that I had with, with, with losing my mom, which I'm g- not going to go too down, sure. too far down that road sure. down there. But the, there was de- a definite moment of, okay, you can, you can pray to the God of whatever name you want, but you're going to call on all of them uh, to, you know, to help you through this transition and like this realization yeah. of like, okay, it's all theoretical and you can play all these theology games in your head. But when the rubber meets the road, Mm-hmm. What does that look like within yourself?
0: Yeah. Um, and part of the role of a chaplain too is how do I, from my perspective, and whatever faith I bring, meet you where you are and mm-hmm. whatever faith experience you bring? Because those can be very different things.
1: Um, right. It's not like they're not going to have somebody on call for every single, like.
0: Right. System. Like I, I've attended to um, – patients of, of very different faiths. I won't share mm-hmm. specifics, but yeah. you know, definitely you have to be able to meet people where they're at. And so that's, that's kind of the thing I've enjoyed about chaplaincy mm-hmm. is I could be a little bit more, um, broad in how I talked about, I, I still am to some extent. Um, I definitely being in the local church, I very much anchor myself in the doctrine and polity of the United Methodist church. And, um, and yet that also gives me an opportunity to then look out into the world and to say, you know, there's a lot of good, I think, in the world that comes from those different places and perspectives.
1: Yeah. And you brought something up that brings me to my next question, which mm-hmm. is, can you break down Methodism for in like the, the broadest terms and how it connects with all of the all of the offshoots?
0: Yeah. So um, the way that the United Methodist Church started is it was John and Charles Wesley were two brothers who were two of like 17 children that Samuel and Susanna Wesley had. Now, Samuel was a priest in the Church of England in the 1700s, if I'm remembering my dick (laughs) centuries correctly Mm -hmm. um and so faith was very much part of that family and i give a lot of credit to Susanna, because the story is that she would like meet with each of her seventeen kids every single day, and they would have like their individual time. Now, of course, some didn't survive past infancy, mm-hmm. but you know she was very intentional about that and and the faith formation. So Charles and Samuel went to Oxford, and they were studying to become priests themselves. And um, this was kind of at a time where the church had had been in its form for a while after Henry VIII said, forget you to the Catholic Roman Catholic church. And, um, they, he wanted, they were looking for some, something more in their lives. Right. They were like, ah, you know, this just going to mass on Sunday just isn't enough for us. <laughs> you know, I don't know if they would have used the term mass, but you know, they're, they probably maintained a lot of the mm-hmm. same language. Um, And, and so they started this group of young men called, and they called it the holy club and their goal was to just hold each other accountable to help each other grow in their faith, encourage each other. And um, other people looked in on that and they said, oh, you Methodists, you have a method for everything. And Because they were, they they had, you know, this very like stricture of here's how we're going to do this. Here's how we're going to grow in our lives and all of that. And so that was kind of where we get the name Methodist. Um, And then there's some story about John coming over to... Georgia what is today Georgia and um, was not very successful because he had a run-in with one of the ladies there who had some pretty high up power and he liked her and and was trying to make um, trying to build connections with her and she didn't like that too much and so he refused her access to communion that didn't go over very well and so he goes back home he he doesn't do so great. But when the American Revolution happens, the Methodist movement has already kind of started in Amer in what would become America, the United States. And he so he said, you know, we're not gonna just leave these people without their clergy, because he still very much encouraged people to attend church and things like that. And so when the king basically pulled out all of the Anglican church, clergy. He said, you know what, we're going to continue to do our thing. He didn't want to, but he was kind of like, we have to at this point. And so then he sent um, Coke and Asbury and the, uh, I forget their names, but uh, I think it's Thomas Coke and Francis Asbury. There we okay. go. And and that's where the United Methodist Publishing House today is called Cokesbury. Okay. And so um, they were, they came over, they were bishops, they were made into bishops. And then we had what was called the Christmas conference and um the methodist church as we knew it came into being at the same time you also had philip otterbein um who started what would later become the evangelical united brethren The, the theologically they were pretty much similar and john and and philip would sometimes be in communication the real difference was just that they worshiped in german versus in English. <laughs> and so those come along. The Methodist church in the Civil War time goes through a split between North and South. They come back together. I'm giving you the, like the quick rundown. of. Oh no, I appreciate this. <laughs> <laughs> this is like the long Methodist history oh, yeah. um, in, in a few minutes, as fast as I can. Yeah. So they come back together in 1939 and you have the Methodist Church, and then you have the Evangelical United Brethren that has kind of come together from a few different groups. And then in 1968, the two groups come together and they form what we call today the United Methodist Church. And so that's why we have United from mm-hmm. the Evangelical United Brethren. And, and sometimes the joke is that the EUB, the only thing that they kept mm-hmm. was the United. Mm -hmm. you know the 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 methodists kind of did a lot of their theology and and things like that um what's interesting though is that i serve in two communities in two communities and one of the communities i serve in, we actually have two buildings because one was the eub and one was the methodist (laughs) and they had to come together and there was history around the fact that um you know the they were two different congregations and now they had to figure out how to get along with each other (laughs) and so you know it's it's kind of funny when you look back at the history that's only been about 60 years ago Mm -hmm. you know or 53 really actually if i do the math right from 1968 to to now and so um And now we're looking at another interesting point in our history, which I won't get into a lot of, but just to say, Mm -hmm. we are wrestling with what it means to be a global church in the 21st century Mm -hmm. and all of the anxieties and power politics and all of the history (laughs) that comes with that. Mm So.
1: Yeah that's thank you for that that summary. I wanted to mm-hmm. I th- that is what I wanted because I it's just fascinating to see mm-hmm. where these things came from and I as like a unitarian universalist with that whole, you know, background situation, it's it's cool to have that that context. Yeah. Um and I didn't realize that that uh United Methodist the United Methodist Church formed in like 1968 cuz that's so that's like around when Unitarian Universalism like merged. So that's, that's really interesting. Yeah. And
0: then the other thing I didn't um, mention in the history, but it kind of is a launching point into kind of the music connection here is that I'm convinced that it wasn't even so much John and all that he did for the church as it was Sam, uh, uh, Charles who wrote like a thousand plus different poems slash hymns you know he wrote he wrote a lot of the lyrics and then they later on became hymns not all of them were set to music but a number of them were and the the legend is that some of the tunes that they were set to were bar tunes Mm -hmm. (laughs) that they would have sung to you know so um i have always had as i hold this up to the camera i know we're audio here but this is my favorite book in the whole world really in some ways it is the united methodist hymnal and there is just like a treasure trove of really good stuff in here this one in particular actually came from my campus ministry in lincoln and i was given that as i was graduating because they were going to be closing and of course what do you do with all this stuff and i was going into seminary and so it was like it just made sense for me Mm -hmm. to have my own hymnal um a couple of really interesting i'm just going to go off here because it's yeah, fun no, stuff. do it that's what we I, do here it is fun you're going to get a kick out of this so before we even get to the song that i want to talk about on in the very introduction we have an excerpt from john wesley's select hymns 1761 and it is called directions for singing oh good okay number one learn these tunes before you learn any others afterwards learn as many as you can or as you please Mm -hmm. number two sing them exactly as they are printed here without altering or mending them at all and if you have learned to sing them otherwise unlearn it as soon as you can (laughs) number three i know this is just hilarious i read it and it's like oh my gosh this is fun stuff oh My confirmation kids always get a kick out of this when I talk to them about the hymnal. Number three, sing all. See that you join with the congregation as frequently as you can. Let not a slight degree of weakness or weariness hinder you. If it is a cross to you, take it up and you will find it a blessing. Sing lustily. Number four, sing lustily and with good courage. Beware of singing as if you are half dead or half asleep, but lift up your voice with strength. Be no more afraid of your voice now, nor more ashamed of its being heard, than when you sung the songs of Satan. Number, f- <laughs> I Can know. Can you reread that? <laughs> yes. I'll start back at the beginning of the of that one. Oh, yes. Sing lustily and with good courage. Beware of singing as if you were half dead or half asleep, but lift up your voice with strength. Be no more afraid of your voice now nor more ashamed of its being heard than when you sang the songs of Satan. (laughs) Cool. (laughs) I know. (laughs) Number five, sing modestly. Do not bawl so as to be heard above or distinct from the rest of the congregation that you may not destroy the harmony but strive to unite your voices together so as to make one clear, melodious sound. Number six, sing in time. Whatever time is to be sung, be sure to keep with it. Do not run before nor stay behind it, but attend close to the leading voices and move therewith as exactly as you can. And take care not to sing too slow. This drawling way naturally steals on all who are lazy. And it is high time to drive it out from us and sing all our tunes just as quick as we did at first. (laughs) And number seven. This is my favorite one. Above all, sing spiritually. Have an eye to God in every word you sing. Aim at pleasing him, gender language, more than yourself or any other creature. In order to do this, attend strictly to the sense of what you sing and see that your heart is not carried away with the sound, but offered to God continually. So shall your singing be such as the Lord will approve here and reward you when he cometh in the clouds of heaven. So I I, yeah. I like how it's like, it's a whole bunch of funny. And then at the end, it does get kind of, there's truth to it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, sing spiritually. Um, I've always loved music. And and for me, as I'm designing worship now that I serve in a local church, um, I pay a lot of attention to what the lyrics are to a song. And I try to pick songs that are going to connect with the message of what we're talking about with, for the day. Um, and, you know, you definitely do get those people who are like, well, I don't know this song.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Try it. You yeah. might learn it. <laughs>
1: Yeah, it's so it's so interesting, the language of that, because uh, it is simultaneously like encouraging the group mind of like, we let's all focus in and connect with each other and be present. But then it's also uh, <laughs> there's a lot of crowd control happening there. and There's a lot of like, uh like, don't those... be the
0: church lady who sings really high pitch above everybody. And
1: yeah. Yeah. Um. And and it, oh my goodness, it reminds me of a a sermon that a previous minister gave um at my church about uh about the cultural implications of the two and the four and the one and the three and basically and it was and it was it was basically all about like rhythm and culture, but it was also low key to get for us to get it together, um, when like singing this little light of mine because. It like it the the songs that we sing from more um, from from like spirituals and and African traditions mm-hmm. like are going to have that that two in the four but marches and like stuff from the Western tradition um, has the one oh, either the three. one in the three or like a one two three four march beat which is why Caucasian rhythm disorder is a thing. <laughs> <laughs> I and like it. And that's my favorite fact. Um but but uh, one of the I can the believe things, it. Yeah, but one of yeah. the the bits in there was some people are some people can are meant to hold the hymnal. And I was just like There's so much shade happening here and yeah. it's also great. Um oh, anyway, awesome. I love that that thank you for sharing that breakdown. Um and I love hearing that um I I guess I did. I hadn't thought of the, the fact that so many of the the Methodist hymns like were written by like the founders, like that's wild. Yeah. Um,
0: And, and again, I would say that was really the reason that the theology spread, mm. you know, was that people naturally singing reaches a different part of your brain, Mm. I think. Um, it, 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 connects in a different way. Like I could give up and give a 20 minute sermon and people will forget it like that, mm-hmm. but you sing one song and if it's got enough of a rhythm and the words mean something, it sticks.
1: Yeah. You know, no, ab- absolutely. And I, I think that even when, you know, you're in, in my experience, like even like with the, with the Catholic hymns, like I will still listen like the Catholic hymns still give me feelings. I'm not particularly Catholic anymore, Mm -hmm. but there's a feeling of home that happens. Mm -hmm. Um, Is
0: there a particular one for you or?
1: Oh, oh my goodness. Um, uh, I mean, you know, on Eagle's wings has been Hmm. discussed on the internet that that is a, that is a solid Catholic banger that that was, there was a whole meme about it. Um, (laughs) uh, and, uh, here I am Lord. That one's Mm. that one's classic. I so I have to admit
0: when we were talking about songs that was a close tie for me. Oh really of of another one. Yeah we have that in our hymnal too Um, and they kind of pull that out like we used it at my seminary graduation. We used it at ordination services you know all of those things because it really is about a call and answering one's call
1: yeah and i and I, that one really like that one speaks to me and like I can and it's like the easiest to to sort through all the you know the the parts where I might differ it's just like that 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 connection of that song has really just <laughs> yeah um there's um I have a playlist of Catholic hymns on my that's on Spotify that I nice. that I will listen to sometimes, and mm-hmm. that's that's where I roll. Um, but I wanted to talk about the so the particular hymn you wanted to talk about uh, mm-hmm. was uh, Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing."
0: Yeah, and so a little bit of the history behind that again, and it ties in with kind of some of the history I've already given.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So the story is on. May 24th I forget the year but John Wesley had always kind of wrestled with his faith and his salvation in whatever term you want to describe that as he, he always was was worried about that he had been invited to attend a meeting on Aldersgate Street in England and of this group of people and they were reading Martin Luther's commentary on the epistle to the Romans right Mm -hmm. and, um, he, in his journal describes that his heart was strangely warmed and he knew that I, even I was, had received the assurance or I'm forgetting the exact words, but basically he said his heart was strangely warmed. Those are the exact words there. And, and just that he always felt that was a faith moment for him.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: But the story that Celeste told Again, because brothers got a brother, mm-hmm. Charles Wesley had been there a few days previously and had had his own experience, and he wrote this whole hymn. Um, we today we call it "O oh, for a Thousand Tongues to Sing," but um, in the neck on the next page of the hymnal, we have it's called "Glory to God and Praise and Love," and there's a whole bunch more verses to it, and that was his expression of his experience of assurance and faith and and the holy spirit as it were Mm -hmm. um and i think it's funny that sometimes pentecost happens on exactly the same day as aldersgate day Mm -hmm. you know and so he wrote this whole hymn of like a whole bunch of verses about his experience and and how you know uh, just this this sense of just outpouring of praise to god you know Mm -hmm. if i kind of it kind of reminds me of like um you know i regret that i only have but one life to give kind of thing it it kind of has that spirit for me um and and just some of the lyrics to it are really neat but that hymn has always been at the it's always by tradition the first hymn of every united methodist hymnal Mm -hmm. um or every Methodist before they became United Methodists. And it's been that way because that hymn is kind of like the foundation of, of our faith, you know? And so um, it, it's just a really neat, neat song. And it's one, for me, the experience of it was, I always liked singing it, but then there's nothing like singing it when you're singing it at either our clergy gathering or at our annual conference, which is another way of referring to the term annual conference, where every year we get together and there's like a whole bunch of clergy and a whole bunch of representatives of all the local churches. And we have worship and we debate resolutions and we do the business together. And, you know, singing oh, for a thousand tongues with a thousand plus people. There's just something about that moment of singing it together. That's just really beautiful. Hmm. And so for me, I just think of that connection and um,
1: yeah. <laughs> That's, wow. I did not. Okay. So, so this, this hymn has its own, like its own like holiday basically.
0: Sort of. I mean the, hol- the hymn itself doesn't so much, but like the, we, we go off of John Wesley's Experience because he wrote it down in his journal, and John Wesley kind of gets all the credit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and and so we call it Aldersgate Day, and that's May twenty fourth every uh-huh. year. And it just remembers that that was kind of that experience of his heart being strangely warmed. Nice. Um, and this him kind of is Charles own experience of that as well. Yeah. So. <laughs>
1: Yeah, there's there's something super cool about what what I think is super powerful about that it too is that it is a description of what inspiration feels like viscerally mm-hmm. in this way that is accessible mm-hmm. which I don't know if that always happens when we're getting in the weeds about theology and what mm-hmm. we're supposed to believe and i think that's super
0: important and super cool yeah so it's it's easy to get in our head and theoretical i'm i'm very much the like you said earlier the rubber's mm-hmm. got to meet the road the, the mm-hmm. you have this this stuff is lived out
1: mm-hmm. you know
0: and that's what's so cool i think about being a pastor um, <clears throat> is really we get to be a part of people's lives and speak into it in so many different ways through worship and song and scripture and just sitting by those bedside, bedsides through celebrating births welcoming new members into the body through baptism gathering around the table as we celebrate communion just all of those things are just um sometimes the coolest thing I think about being a pastor is that trust that, Mm -hmm. that I have, that people invite me into some of the most sacred
1: and most intimate moments of Mm. their lives. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's, and, and it's so important to like those moments of, of, of presence and community is really like, I think what it's, what it's all about and you know and like that's part of why we engage with the church <laughs> Is well and, that. and
0: right now we're into a real debate about that and what mm-hmm. that's going to look like given the fact that we've now gone a year plus of having church online or in parking lots or in different ways that we've tried to navigate and now we have to ask ourselves what will it look like
1: mm-hmm. you know have you how how has that has that transition been uh with online worship um, <clears throat>
0: it was there's definitely some challenges because you definitely have some folks who are not as um connected technologically and you have to under to understand some of that and so we tried to find ways to like we might mail sermons or those kinds of things, uh, bulletins, just try to keep connected in those ways. Um, And then, you know, I got pretty used to being on the camera for Facebook live Mm -hmm. for leading, for doing services that way. But I also knew that it was a different medium. And so I knew I had to kind of adjust how worship looked. Um, One of the things that was the hardest because it's harder to include as part of worship was the music part. Mm. Um, And part of that was the copyright thing that we still hadn't quite gotten all of that arranged yet. We got there as we started opening back up and we're going to be doing music. Um, But then part of it is also, it is a lot harder to sing as just one person. I can do it. It's also a very scary and intimidating thing to do. Yeah, <laughs> on your own. So
1: and that's and that's something I've experienced with with my so we do like zoom worship where mm-hmm. um, I miss uh, I like I'll, I'll be singing alone at home and like, I keep trying to find ways to make the um, make it make the ritual happen. Like, Mm. I'm still, like, standing up when I need to stand up. No,
0: that's legitimate. I mean, like, that's, I try to encourage people to do that. You know, when we were, when we were still gathering from our homes, I would try to say something like, you know, close out all the other tabs on your browsers, make a space and a time, you know, set the, I think intentionality is something that is really hard, but really critical, Mm -hmm. in this past year, where some of those boundaries that we used to create have kind of gotten shredded apart. Um,
1: Like, I'm the sort of person who it's like, I'll turn off my phone before, uh, you know, going into a show or going into church. And it's so interesting, like, living the zoom life, and everybody's in the chat. And it's like, I want to focus on the moment. <laughs> yeah. And and yet the interesting thing is that, you know,
0: sometimes that can be a form of community itself. Yeah. Because you know, there's been some times, I, I, I fully confess that I may or may not have at times been on Facebook chat with other clergy people as we're sitting in annual conference mm-hmm. session and trying to um, kind of... <laughs> Just keep ourselves alert and attentive to what's going on. And so I, I think for the most part, we really use it as a tool to help us engage. But I think each person has to kind of determine for themselves what's going to help them stay connected or not. And so, yeah, you get this kind of like sub community <laughs> that happens on on the facebook that way or um just different things so yeah
1: yeah no it's it, it it's it's interesting how the rituals shift and change and that's been like a really yeah that's that's been a really interesting thing to see um yeah so yeah. i wanted to go back to so going back to the music you mm-hmm. were talking about that imagery of of uh like that, his heart was warm. That uh, mm-hmm. John, yeah, John Wesley's heart was warm. Um, and I'm curious, how do you describe? Like, how does inspiration and that you feel from music or theater? Like, where does that live in your body?
0: Um, I would probably say it lives in my heart as well. Um, mm-hmm. I think I also think of like the in the air. You know, I think there's just kind of this—it's not a buzz, but like just this warm feeling in the air that we have, like when when there's a bunch of people together. Um, I'm I'm one of those people who's pretty empathic, and so I can kind of get a feel for the mood of a room. And mm-hmm. so you know, it's just there is something about feeling that next to you, you have other people who are singing. Um, and, and all of that. And so that that's kind of where it lives for me. The other way that I experience inspiration is kind of like I talked about with my own call story of that. I, I think of it like that still small voice in the back of my head, and it still sounds like my voice. But it's also there's something about it that it's like, if I trust that God has created me to be who I am, and I live into that fully, then I'm answering what God is calling me to do, you know, and yeah. so um and that was a lot of when I was going through that process in college I was like okay what am I good at what am what do I enjoy doing where do I spend my time just naturally because I trust that the spirit is working in that you know
1: yeah and I like that you I mean still small voice is like a classic term um Mm -hmm. yeah it's
0: uh, in the Elijah in the cave I think
1: okay. Yeah.
0: You know, it, there's the big rushing wind. And after that there was the fire and, and all of this. And then, but God was not in those things. Yes. Instead, God was in the still small voice. And, and that's, I think also an underrated part of worship. And it's a lot harder when you're doing it online to, we call it dead space in Mm. radio or, or sound, you know, we, we, we don't like that so much, but I, I am a huge fan of creating opportunities for silence. And so I didn't struggle nearly as much with the pandemic, I think, as some people have mm-hmm. in that regard, because I'm I'm very strongly introverted. That's just who I am, which doesn't mean I don't like people. I absolutely do. It just means that by the time I'm done being around a bunch of them, I'm kind of drained and I'm going to have to put my feet up and cuddle under a nice warm blanket and watch Something fun, <laughs> yeah. So,
1: yeah, and I, oh man, well, I have discovered that I am actually an introvert, despite the fact that I enjoy talking. This pandemic yeah. has taught me that I'm an introvert. <laughs> yeah, um, and uh it has really helped me find that that still sm- still small voice place as well. So, I agree with that, and I think that is that is such an important thing to figure out because there's a lot of, there can be a lot of thoughts swirling in your head. So figuring out yes. what is the, what is the wise voice mm-hmm. is like its own journey. I definitely attribute that to, to something that one goes through in your twenties, which I say with all the wisdom of the 33 year old, <laughs> but right. <laughs> but but it's it's a constant journey and and figuring Mm -hmm. out how to go back to that is so important and it just makes me think of um there's a a Teresa I think it's Teresa of Avila uh you can probably fact check me on this but uh but I think it's Teresa of Avila said uh talked about the the idea that your soul is like this mansion with many yeah the interior castle interior castle there it is yeah Yeah.
0: she talked about like seven different mansions inside and i you know i've started to read that and i need to go back and do it because i i do like her a lot um Mm -hmm. i i resonate with a lot
1: of the there are women theologians throughout history Surprise. Surprise. <laughs> now you know, listeners. Now you know. Yeah, um, Teresa of Avila is one of the um I I went through a phase sometime in college where I just started collecting books about uh about different mystics. So I have like Julian and Hilda Julian of Norwich, Hildegard von Bingen. Yeah. Uh
0: I did my that. senior capstone on women's rhetoric on Julian of Norwich. Because I did the women's rhetoric class and uh-huh. um I did my research on, on Julian and then I actually my my contribution project was preaching for Mm -hmm. cornerstone (laughs) you know you know hello women preaching kind of a radical thing in itself so uh, and 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 i will say in the methodist movement we have had our mixed history there as well john wesley actually had a number of women who served as um preachers and exhorters and all these different roles um you know over time there was a time where women weren't really allowed and and then finally that was part of the process again and so we we've kind of 1956 i think is when that happened as mm-hmm. part of the methodist church um there are still congregations that struggle with that and um I, personally i think they're missing out on half of the divine
1: I, absolutely and i think that <laughs> the, at least what I've read from these different mystics is they are so good at tapping into the imagery and the poetry and the, in the visceralness of theology, which is so important in getting us back into our, our, you know, bodies and finding that, yeah. finding that truth. Cause you can't, um, there, I think this is a Richard Rohr quote, um, but Richard Rohr said that an epiphany is just embodying something you already know. Mm. I like that. Yeah, I and like I th- that. And I think that's that's part of the deal with with music and how it connects us to uh, our spirituality and our faith. Is it it gets us in our bodies and we experience it and we sing along. It's a
0: very physical thing to sing. Yeah. You know, it's 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 so I'm not a professional singer by any stretch, but I know my way around singing just by Mm -hmm. (laughs) by experience, I suppose. And and yeah, it's um, just knowing where to breathe from, how to hold (laughs) just all those things. And I and I'm not like I said, I'm not professional by any stretch, but it is as you say that I'm like, yeah, it's a very embodied thing to sing
1: yeah and so much and I mean it's the one instrument where your confidence and your your willingness to use it it affects how you use it like Mm -hmm. you can psych yourself out um with singing (laughs) like like I'll tell my students like if if I have if I ever am coaching somebody who's like I'm not really a singer I'll be like shh it'll hear you (laughs) 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 yeah oh gosh Uh, makes me think of like finding
0: my voice as a preacher even too it's a similar kind of process
1: yeah and and it's it's a lot of it is yeah just getting comfortable and putting putting stuff out there getting comfortable with how everything works and learning to trust yourself and all that good stuff absolutely um So Michelle, thank you for being on uh, the show today Uh, and you host another podcast on this little uh, network that we're starting here.
0: Yes, Um, I am working with Father Andrew Miller, and we are doing pastor and a priest walk into a movie theater, where we talk about movies and their connection with faith and life, and um, try to try to think theologically about that as well. And so it's been, you know, it's funny. I, I thought of that idea and then it kind of spiraled into this network and I was like, how in the world did this happen? But, <laughs> but I just had this crazy idea and it's kind of blossomed from here, but it's also really exciting because I think what I see in this is God is at work in so many ways in our lives and the more ways that we can name that and point to that, I think that's an opportunity to resonate with people. And so we're looking at, so far we've done, we've recorded for Moana, Sister Act, um, we'll be doing True Grit, we've done the day after, and, and so there's different, um, you know, we're not just going after, like, the cliche, like, God's not dead kind of movies, we're actually going for, like, movies that you normally see that have life, faith themes to them. And so we're having a lot of fun with that. And I am so glad to be a part of that. And I'm so glad that you have given me a chance to be here with you today. I love this conversation.
1: (laughs) So this is great conversation. Um, yeah. And I'm so excited to start this network. Um, yeah, I, so I was brought into it, uh, out of a Facebook post, which like, this was, you know, definitely one of those, those universe moments. I feel like I feel like when people of faith have magical synchronicity moments, there's like some sort of bonus credit that you get. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Yeah. Well, I always, and it's funny you use that word synchronicity because I'm like, there are times when I've heard the same thing from different people Mm -hmm. and that's when I'm like, okay, I'm paying attention. I get it.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And like, and yeah, so I like that we were just sort of, guided together or you know said yes to creating this network so it's great all righty well you so you can check out uh michelle's uh, michelle and andrew's podcast also on the new faith new media network a priest and a pastor walk into a movie theater um and are there any other ways you want people to connect with you
0: Well, we're working on setting up our all of our socials. And so um, Facebook is kind of the first place that I know of. And I know that we're working on more. So um, stay tuned as we get started. I think we're going to be setting up Patreon and all of those things. So
1: we've we've set up up those things and the links to those things will be in the show notes. So you can connect with us uh, through all of the New Faith New Media channels and also join the discussion on our Facebook group. Awesome. Well, thank you, Michelle. Oh, you're so welcome. Thank you, Gail. Thank you for listening to Faith and What Resonates. The theme music for the show is My Journey, My Song, the first song that I wrote back when I was 19. The song has an epic backstory, and I'll tell you about it in a future episode. Faith and What Resonates is part of the New Faith New Media Network. You can find out more about what we do by checking out our Facebook page, You can also discuss this and other episodes in our Facebook group. That's also where you can connect with Michelle and find out where to listen to her show, a pastor and a priest walk into a movie theater. If you like what we do and you want to support that work directly, you can support the New Faith New Media Network on Patreon. All Patreon supporters get access to our Patreon-exclusive podcast, Blessed Lunatics. If you want to know more about the things I do in the world, you can head to my website, GilGallagherMusic.com. Thanks for listening, and remember to stay curious and keep following the magic of the things that resonate.